Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. I'm back in your ears with today's guest, who is Vicky Turk. She is a senior editor at Wired magazine, knows a lot about the internet and the digital world we live in. And she's just written a book called Digital Etiquette, all about how to have good manners online, basically. We talk about the workplace and how to better manage your communication with colleagues. We talk about friendship and how actually it's changed how we keep in touch with our friends now because there's just so many different apps and so many different inboxes that we're always using and just in general how to be politer on the internet and how to deal when things go wrong so I hope you enjoyed this episode we just kind of go into it and have a bit of a chat about the book and how she structured it and why she included all the things that she's included please leave a rating or a review if you enjoyed it and here it is I'm very excited to be with you. We're in the Penguin Random House studio room and your book, Digital Etiquette, is out in March. And I am so obsessed with how we are online and our weird behaviours and the things that we do and the things that go wrong. And I just wanted to ask you, firstly, why you wanted to write this book. Well, I guess the idea came initially, um, just the idea of doing an etiquette guide for modern life, for online behaviour. Um, And when I was kind of talking to my agent, to my editor about it, we were all kind of, we all kind of thought someone must have done it. But looking around, it seemed that no one really had. So there's lots of writing, obviously, about kind of digital culture and specific sort of um, trends that go on and behaviours that we have. But no one seemed to have sort of put it together. So it just seemed like an opportunity that couldn't really be missed. Yeah, that's what I felt when I saw the book. I know there's loads of articles, but the fact that it's all in this one big book is so brilliant. So with your your job at Wired... Um, Obviously, you are in the mix of digital culture every single day. What led you to work at Wired? Well, um, I guess it it was quite conventional to begin with, really. I I went to university. I did uh, modern languages and then I did a master's in journalism um, and sort of decided that that was the career that I wanted to go into. Um, And actually, pretty much my very first job in journalism was at Wired. I did... I did one internship at sort of an online women's magazine when I was straight out of uni. And then I was an editorial intern at Wired UK. So I did that for six months. And then I I left um, and went to Vice to uh, work as UK editor of Motherboard, which is their oh, tech yeah. and science channel for a few years. So I stayed there for about three years, then went to New Scientist for a, for a little while, um, but always kind of had in my heart that I wanted to go back to Wired because I'd loved it so much when I first started out there. Um, and luckily, an opportunity arose and I, I came back uh, about two years ago now. And Wired is so iconic, I think. It's such a well-known kind of everything that it's written about is very well reported and really well researched. It's just such a great magazine. I love it. How much research does go on and how do you go about covering something in depth? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things that really attracted me to Wired is uh, that obviously it's still very strong in print as well as having the digital aspect. And it still does um, such great long form pieces, which is a great passion of mine. I always try to have one going on in the background when I'm doing everything else. I'm reporting one at the moment, actually. It varies greatly depending on the story. But when it's a long form piece, uh, yeah, a lot of reporting goes into that. You know, it's um, we're talking months of work, traveling, going and seeing things um, and that's what I really love is that kind of proper in-depth 
diving into a subject and meeting everyone you can to talk about it. Um, that's my favourite bit, actually, the reporting. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it, as well, because I feel like digital journalism on the whole at the moment is well like the news of buzzfeed and things on twitter is so scary but then on the other hand you've got these really amazing digital spaces that just feel so embedded in our culture that they won't go anywhere i hope so yeah it's a weird time though isn't it it is a difficult time and yeah it is um you know it's it's very sad to watch kind of what's going on in media at the moment a lot of people are obviously losing their jobs things are shifting things are changing um i mean it's not the first time with this we've been through it <laughs> several times in the past few years um and there's so much talent out there that i i mean i am hopeful that that talent will shine through and it will find a place and i think i don't think people are fed up of reading good stories and good reported journalism um so i am kind of optimistic in one sense that i do think that always going to be a, a place for that um, but at the same time it's you know it's the business model I think that's the problem and that's not something that I know a, an awful lot about uh, but it's something that I think everyone knows has to change uh, and I don't really have the the solution to that but I hope that people find a way. Yeah me too because on one hand you've got young people spending their money on poetry books and paying for content so people have the money they want to spend it but it's just like what's going on? Leading on to then digital etiquette, because I think it's so important now for everyone to be good at the internet. I feel like a few people started blogs like years and years ago, but now it feels like everyone understands the power of having your own special place online. So your book talks about work, it talks about friendship, it talks about personal versus um, professional. But how did you decide what bits to cover? Because I love the sections and the different categories. Yeah, so the idea from the start really was not to focus on specific technologies uh, because, you know, they can come and go and they fade in and out of popularity. And who knows, in a few months time, everyone might have left Instagram and be using something that we haven't even heard of yet. Um, But rather to focus on kind of different aspects of life. So it's split into four four chapters, uh, work, friendship, romance and community, which is essentially social media. Um, And yeah, I guess for me, I think... This distinction between our offline and online lives, I mean, you know very well about this, Emma, but it's it's just completely unnecessary. Um, there is no kind of obvious divide between that anymore. We might present different personas online and we can kind of play with identity in different ways, which is part of what I absolutely love about the internet. Um, but yeah, I think kind of seeing technology as this, this different separate thing just doesn't really work anymore so um it's very much about tackling the different areas of you know your social sphere rather than like this is how to use this technology yes because it's so embedded in our lives and then the way you've just put that it makes it feel very accessible to literally everyone of all ages wherever you are in the world we're all gonna well meet people online or try and work in some way online but some of the parts that made me laugh I mean because it's so it is so day-to-day now like the whatsapp groups the dating profiles the emails how did you go about kind of researching what you were going to talk about because it is such a massive topic but the way you've whittled it down to like five tips is incredible yeah I mean to be honest I could have written a whole book about email uh, which is one of my favorite things to complain about is how people do email wrong I get real email anxiety Oh, me too. And I feel like as someone who 
whose primary goal is to write and create things and make things, the amount of time I spend on email just makes me really sad. (laughs) I think that is something that everyone shares. It's like email was, you know, email is a very useful tool. We wouldn't be able to do most of our jobs without it. It's made things super fast. You can talk to people the other side of the world. It's really, you know, improved our lives and improved our work. But it's also just horrible. And to a lot of people, you know, I think email has become work. It doesn't help you do your work anymore. It is your work. You can spend a whole day in your inbox. Um, So, yeah, I think that's definitely something that is a sentiment that's shared by a lot of people. Basically, I love that you are trying to get people to not send emails in that chapter basically which is helpful to everyone because you're right you know we should think to ourselves do I need to send this before firing it off I mean that is the underlying sentiment in that chapter I think is that you know everyone hates email that's just a fact so the very best etiquette is to try and reduce email for everyone yes the best email is the email that you don't send so true and talking of sign-offs and weird stuff like that so I wondered if you had because there's a brilliant part in the book as as well about emailing like a CEO so yeah basically reducing what you're sending and trying to be a bit more efficient that way but before I read off my weird ones that people sent me do you have any weird sign-offs that that grate on you to be honest the sign-off that grates on me most is not particularly weird or unusual unfortunately Um, and that is thanks in advance Oh, I hate that. It's just so presumptive. It's so kind of passive aggressive. It's like, yeah, you're going to do this. You don't have a choice. Yeah. You can't thank someone in advance of doing something. They haven't done it yet. It's not it's not actual gratitude. Yeah, that's that's my personal bugbear. Yeah, and I also when people when there's like finance involved, it's like, will you sponsor my thing? Thanks in advance. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to now. It's such a guilt trip. I asked on Twitter last night cuz I knew I was going to see you the worst email sign-offs. And actually, some of them were about out of offices. So I'd love your opinion on that. Weird passive out of offices. Um, Someone had put yours in passion. In a work context? I think so. That's awful, isn't it? I mean, that's just like an HR incident waiting to happen. People have a lot of problems with warm, like warm regards. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit gross, isn't it? I think anything with regards as well just sounds a bit stuffy and a bit weird. It's not, I mean, no one says that in real life. Someone said a doctor had signed off healthy regards. Okay, that, I mean, that's quite funny if it's sort of specific to your job. I mean, it's cringy, but you can see what yeah, they're doing with it. That's quite sweet. Um, someone had said a girl called Florence whose iPhone email signature was sent from my iFlow. Oh, awful. <laughs> that sounds like some kind of period tech startup. Yeah, it's actually quite a good name. With all the love in my womb. Very odd. <laughs> Was that, a, I mean, that could only be a mother to a child. Maybe that would make sense. Oh, and this one's really good, actually. Signing off with energy to spare. Oh, I already hate that person. Do you think there's something now etiquette-wise about email that almost the less time you spend is almost like a social status thing? Like, I'm signing off with energy. It's almost like I don't email much. I don't yeah. know. There's definitely a lot of power play when it comes to email, especially in a work context. Um, and I think that's where this kind of idea of emailing like a CEO comes from, which uh, Katie Notopoulos at BuzzFeed has written out about before. She wrote about how um, she did an experiment of emailing like a CEO, which is basically where you answer emails almost immediately, but with you know just one or two words, just mm-hmm. like yes or okay. 
or something like that. Um, and I think it is, you know, yes, it might just be because you're busy and you don't have much time to spend on email. But I think it is also just a kind of um, implicitly saying, like, yeah, I'm in control of my email. I'm answering it, but I don't have time for this. Yeah. I'm more important. And do you think then with that, there's a layer to getting over yourself and being like, well, maybe people might think I'm rude, but actually I'd rather people think I'm rude than be bogged down with this. I don't know. I think it's finding the balance. I think it's it's better for everyone, both the email sender and the recipient, if you keep things brief and to the point and just spell out exactly what you want. Don't beat about the bush. You don't need to ask how people are in every email. They don't, they're not going to tell you. <laughs> so yeah. there's just no point. But you know, you have to find that balance of also still being polite. Like you can still say please and thank you. You can still say hello. Um, so yeah, I think it's kind of treading that careful line of etiquette where you're not being rude, but you're just getting things done and making things as easy as possible for everyone to reply and just keep the email chain as short as possible so we can get on with what we actually want to be doing. Yeah, you're so right. Because uh, I think I'm quite guilty of overdoing it with email because I'm so... I read this book called Unsubscribe by okay. Jocelyn K. Gly and it's all about email. And she was saying that basically our human brain thinks that people are being meaner than they are we just assume people ha- we we think people hate us basically as people so a smiley face basically goes such a long way because it's almost like i don't hate you but what do you think about smiley faces i think that's actually so true and i think that's not just email i think this is one reason why digital etiquette in general is so important is because a lot of our communication using using digital tools is through text and it's so easy to misinterpret what someone's saying when they're writing it down Mm. Um, in email, in text messages, WhatsApp messages, um, you know, online on social media. I think especially if you end up projecting, if I receive an email from a colleague and it's just like a one line sentence, if I'm kind of in a bad mood or feeling a bit vulnerable, I'll immediately read that as like a terse kind of accusatory tone. And obviously it's not at all. It could just be like, you know, well, it's just normal. They yeah. could be smiling when they wrote it. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of people would say emoji are not really appropriate for the workplace, but I completely disagree. I think unless it's a really formal context, you know, like you're sending in a job application or something like that, it really helps to kind of add that extra, um, what in conversation we call nonverbal cues. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, which is when, you know, your facial expression or your tone of voice those are all the things that are missing from a lot of d- digital communications. So the more that you can add that in with, for example, a smiley, the better, because you're just helping yourself to be understood, which is the whole point of etiquette, really. Yeah. And we want to do things for people we like. Yeah. With like a boss who's not being horrible to us. There's been a lot in the news recently about emotional labour, especially with women and like the kind of um, cogs that go around in our heads, like make sure everyone's okay all the time, especially at home still. I wondered with that, because on WhatsApp, I get a lot of people saying, are you okay? Are you, are you annoyed with me? Because I'm so blunt on WhatsApp. Do you think that there's something to be said for that? Like we're constantly trying to make sure we're not misunderstood. Is that like another part of life that we have to nail now? Yeah, Oh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you can overthink these things for sure. Um, and I think, you know, as the kind of sender of messages, you have to bear that in mind and try and make sure that you're understood. But also as a recipient, you have to try and turn off that little voice inside your head, which is saying like, maybe they hate you <laughs> because they probably don't yeah. um the amount and, and i think twitter doesn't help that one yeah that's the, the perfect tool of oh 
uh, this person hates me, when actually it's probably just a conversation. But I think that little voice in your head can also be really helpful, especially on public platforms like Twitter. I, I, I probably definitely overthink things uh, when it comes to kind of my public communications um, on social media. But I'll sort of compose a tweet. And if it's like a little bit mean or sarcastic, which most of my tweets are, to be fair, I will actually kind of reread it several times and think before I press send. Um, and it's always fine because, you know, I've actually put some thought into it. And then when I see someone tweet something that is just, you know, past the line, I just think, like, did you not did you not read that back? Did you not put any thought into how people were going to misinterpret that? Like, what? And didn't you know that like millions of people could read that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a confidence that I almost wish I had just to be able to put stuff out there. Although, I mean, you know, those flashback things of like time hop and Facebook memories and Instagram memories now. And like you said this seven years ago and I'm like, I said what? So I think that is like you're saying, it's helpful to make sure that you're not saying random stuff. Well, yeah, and I would, <laughs> I mean, going back to see your old Facebook messages and your old tweets is just hell. I would not recommend doing it. I am um, actually in the process of writing this book. I went back to look at some of my very earliest Facebook posts um, just to see kind of how we used social media back then. And it's kind of a double whammy of I was young, you know, I was a teenager. Obviously, this was when social media was new. So the things I was interested in were completely, you know, self-obsessed and just very cringeworthy and also culture at the time was very different yeah I think we forget how quick things change and even how we use technology back then if you wanted to write a private message to someone you couldn't do that on Facebook so you'd write on their wall where everyone could see yeah and like I remember really personal stuff yeah and I remember this was kind of almost an unconscious tool that you'd use when you're at school or university to sort of show off you know who you knew or how well you knew them because you know that everyone else can read those personal messages that you're writing um and so it's it's yeah i'd completely forgotten that the tools worked differently back then but yeah it was really cringeworthy i'm i'm very tempted to get one of those uh set up one of those things that automatically deletes your tweets after a certain amount of time oh yeah because oh yeah i'm I mean, I don't. I don't think I've tweeted anything like genuinely bad because I'm. I'm a nice person. I hope. Um, but yeah, just the the cringeworthiness of seeing your past jokes that are no longer funny and that kind of thing. Yeah, because I feel like with Facebook, at least it was a closed page. Like it was sort of private, even though you were on writing on the wall. But with Twitter, I just think I was tweeting all sorts of things like ten years ago. And actually, recently, I was working on a project and they were like, before we sign up with you, we, we're we going to have to screen your entire internet presence like to check oh, you're no. not like, an awful person. So, like, you know, checking everything, if I ever said anything bad. And I was nervous because I was like, what if I have said something weird? I think everyone should do that in a way. Everyone should go back and just have a look. But with friendship, um, I wanted to ask you, because I saw a really funny tweet you did, actually, about how you used Doodle to meet up with a friend and it was outside of work and how you know that is like a shameful thing that I do as well how do you how do we make friendship work do you think online now that actually what you're referring to was an absolute disaster that was um my family whatsapp group was trying to figure out where we should all go away together for a weekend and it was absolute 
chaos because <laughs> it was just kind of all open. Everyone wanted to do a different thing. So I ended up creating a doodle poll to try and decide where we should go, which I hated myself for because I, you know, you know, these people who use like office enterprise software tools to manage their personal lives. I just don't want to be one of those people. Doodle um, is very sort of got, it's got that rep of being like, let's network. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought it went well because the poll had a clear winner and then it completely disintegrated and the WhatsApp chat got a bit heated um, and it was all just a bad idea. But um, <laughs> yeah, in 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 broader answer to your question, um, yeah, I think friendship's a really interesting one because WhatsApp groups or the group chats on whatever app or messaging tool that you use, they're actually quite a new phenomenon. We didn't have them, certainly when I was at university, which... Okay, it's a, f- a fair few years ago now. Um, but, you know, we didn't have a kind of group online meeting place where you could arrange and discuss things with multiple people at once. Uh, and now it's just become such a fabric of modern, uh, part of the fabric of modern friendship. I can't imagine organising anything without mm. it. No, and I and, and I can't imagine keeping up with my family to the extent I do. Which And actually, I love that you know, my dad's like, you know, late 60s, and he's on WhatsApp. I love the fact that I can just send him pictures. Because actually, when what would I've done before? Text isn't really the same, is it? Yeah. And it's so difficult. You know, I guess you'd have a phone call every week or something. Um, But yeah, well, I I have very strong opinions on phone calls. Um, And it's just less convenient. I think it's nice to be able to just share those inconsequential moments when you see something funny or you you're reminded of someone because you know you heard a joke or whatever um and i i really think a lot of a lot of the book and a lot of my thoughts on this topic are very kind of celebratory about technology and how it's connecting us i think there's a lot of negative news around um social media and digital tools these days and everyone loves to go to complain about it um and how it's you know Twitter is a dumpster fire and, you know, mobile phones are destroying our lives or whatever. Um, But actually, I think we forget what life was like before we had that. Um, So, yeah, being able to stay in contact with people and just kind of share those intimate moments of your real life. Yeah, it's great. And there's so many things that help us now and apps have just revolutionised everything. With friendship, just lastly on friendship... Uh, I read something the other day on Twitter as well that was saying um, that we should check in with our friends more because actually we look at their Instagram and probably think, oh, they're having a lovely week. And we all know that one Instagram picture does not paint reality. Do you think there's something to be said? I know that you've just said about phone calls. You've written in in the book about how you think phone calls are really important. Yeah. um, So I don't hate phone calls. I know it's a bit of a trope for millennials to not like phone calls. I think the problem is unscheduled phone calls. No one likes to be surprised by a phone ringing and you don't know what the person wants or whatever. And you're, you know, in the middle of doing something and it's really inconvenient. Um, So I think I'm going to get murdered when someone rings me. Yeah. I'm like, it's a murderer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And you just think it's definitely bad news. Uh, so you should always text before you call. Yeah, That's the golden rule. But yeah, I definitely think they still have a place in modern society. Um, there's definitely still something to be said for speaking to someone using your voice and, you know, using your tone of voice and all that kind of thing. And obviously meeting in person is great too. Um, but yeah, in terms of checking in, I think that's why it's so important to have these personal channels as well as the public ones so you've got your instagram where you're kind of showing off your life and everyone enjoys doing that and everyone enjoys looking at everyone else doing that and that's fine 
Um, but yeah, you do also need these more private spaces. Um, and I think that's where messaging apps certainly play a role. And some people have, you know, their second Instagram account, which is only visible to friends. Yeah, I've noticed um, that's a real trend now. Yeah. There's a few people I know that I've seen who say a YouTuber with five million subscribers she will have a private instagram with like 15 people on and it's just interesting that because no matter how famous you are online with all these connections it's like at the end of the day you want your 10 friends to laugh at a joke yeah you have to have a space where you can actually be yourself um i actually turned my instagram private a while ago just because i was kind of posting stuff it wasn't even personal stuff it was just you know pictures of my cat or whatever but I'd get like a couple of guys who I didn't know and they just like every post. And it wasn't weird. it wasn't that they were doing anything wrong or saying anything weird. It just felt like I was kind of being watched by people I had no idea who they were. And even though I wasn't sharing anything that I was worried about sharing, it just felt a bit odd. Have you watched you on Netflix? I haven't. Is it all about that? It's all about that. It's it's interesting since that's come out, a lot of people have gone, Oh yeah. I tag myself in the hotel I'm staying in, in real time. And yes, I'm not a influencer. Anyone could be stalked. Like this is the yeah. thing. It's like, it doesn't matter if you've got two followers or 200 or 2 million, you're still publicly tagging yourself at a location. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's quite, it's not like horror, but it's a thriller about a stalker. Um, and actually I've always, I've always tagged myself like a few days later where I am. There's definitely a need for awareness around security and privacy. And I actually think this is something that the younger generation is really good at. They totally get it. I mean, we grew up online and it was just the Wild West and everything you put on MySpace and Facebook and everything was just open to everyone. And that had, you know, that was kind of part of the web as we knew it growing up. But now, I mean, I've got a half sister and and she's um, 15 and they're, they're much more savvy about kind of keeping their profiles private and they know exactly kind of what they should and shouldn't be sharing and what the risks are. So I have a lot of hope for the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I know this is a really annoying question because I get asked it and I never know what to say. So I'm going to ask you it. What do you think the future does look like for tech? I mean, in like the next 10 years or so, do, is there anything that like pops out at you? I mean, I guess so. Certainly at the moment, obviously, there's lots of discussion about how much control the big tech giants have over us Um, and this week you know there's in the news there's kind of Facebook considering merging some of its private messaging services so Instagram and WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger I think it I don't know which way it's going to go but I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out and whether there's enough impetus for people to start moving to alternative tools. Um, I think people, as I say, are becoming more security and privacy aware. So I think that there's certainly a culture shift in terms of what people are willing to share about themselves and and what they're not. Um, And I think the rise of sort of, you know, more private than public tools, I think that's probably going to continue. We've sort of had enough of airing our dirty laundry in public. Mm. And Um, do you think that, is linked slightly to how creepy it is now the advertising that that gets targeted because I think you know we kind of maybe understand a little bit about how that works like the boomerang ads of you search for something and then it's saved and it gets like retargeted but I think for people that are quite new to tech 
I think that could really freak them out. Like, why are these ads popping up? There's definitely a creepiness line, isn't there? Because um, um, my sister was saying actually the other day that she was talking about something and it was she she had not posted it anywhere. She said it, and then the ad started coming, and she was like, "What?" Everyone says that, don't they? There's that big conspiracy theory that our phones are listening to us and serving us ads. I'm not sure if I believe it. I am. Um, I do think people forget kind of their digital footprint quite easily mm-hmm. so you know when people think oh it must have been my phone must have been listening to me maybe you were kind of just reading about that a few days ago or something and that's why it's in your mind or maybe someone messaged you about it um yeah. i don't know but yeah i mean there's definitely kind of a line between what's what's okay creepy and what's too creepy yeah and um, sometimes i get annoyed because i'm like i do want that and i am gonna buy that and you've I can't afford to so thanks for advertising something so perfect for me well this is where Instagram did so well as well I think is targeting the ads they're very targeted but they're actually useful I find myself flipping through Instagram and I'll come to a fashion advert and I will spend longer swiping through and looking at those clothes than I do on some of my friends posts and that is kind of you could say it's creepy, but it's also the whole point of targeted advertising is you see yeah. things that are actually relevant to you rather than a bunch of nonsense that you're not interested in. Um, so I'm not anti-targeted advertising as a as a kind of thing as a whole. Um, but yeah, I think people are much more aware of sort of what's going on. Um, but also, you know, we use all these services for free and I think a lot of people, I'm obviously very in the tech world, so I'm thinking about this stuff all the time and I'm hearing about it all the time. I'm sure if I kind of asked my mum or something about it, she wouldn't have given it a second thought. Mm. Yeah. And and I mean, with Amazon, they never really, I know Amazon gets criticised in many ways, but we never really criticise the whole like, you might like this on the homepage. I'm always like, oh, thanks, and Amazon. Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. And the Netflix. recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. So just lastly, with the book coming out, it's all really exciting. What are you what what are you hoping people take from it the most? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um I mean, yeah, as I said, it I'm very kind of positive about technology. I work at Wired. I like it. <laughs> um I'm active on on the internet and it's been a, a big part of my life growing up and my life now. Um but I think, you know, when we complain about technology we're not actually complaining about technology we're complaining about our own behavior so if we can all just put a bit more thought into how we treat others really um then we can make it a better space for everyone i love that because you're <laughs> right because when we're complaining about instagram for example maybe we're complaining about what we're following or what we're doing or how much time we're spending on it yeah i mean maybe it's a bit of sort of an idealistic vision of making people be nice to each other on the internet but I, I have hope yeah no I, I fully agree and I think that we can't really blame tech without looking at the human behavior first I think so. there's just such simple things as well that people don't think about you do it unconsciously and when I mean <laughs> even just going back to email if you just put some thought into whether you need to cc all these people on this email or email or not you, that might actually have quite a big impact on someone's day, you know, in terms of whether you're stressing them out when you don't need to or whether, you know, they really need to be kind of answering their phone at 8 p.m. on a Friday night to yes. answer your trivial work question. So just these kind of tiny little just putting a bit of thought into how you act online could actually really 
make a big difference. Yes. Well, thank you for writing it because the result will impact us all in a positive way, hopefully, and people won't follow up on emails first thing on a Monday in a horrible, aggressive way, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Emma. Thank you.